Hello, and welcome to Real Nutrition Talk. My name is Olivia Russell, and I am the owner of a nutrition education business named Intuitive Dieta. And my name is Regan Alexander. I have my master's in nutrition, as well as my personal trainer certification through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. In this podcast, we are going to dive deep into health, wellness, and nutrition, debunking diet myths as we go. In our current age of information, it's nearly impossible to find useful nutrition advice, and it's really exhausting listening to all the contradictions that exist. That's why we're here. Follow along as each week we sit down to discuss a different topic in order to determine if it is diet trash or treasure. We're so glad you're here. Hey guys, it's Olivia here. Before we start this episode, I just wanted to do a little advisory. We are going to be talking about vitamins and we do make recommendations. However, we have to add the caveat of this is not medical advice and if you are seeking medical advice to please see a medical professional. I hope you guys love this episode. Okay, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It doesn't feel like it, but I feel like I've been gone for a while because I was actually out of town and then I got the flu. So here we are, even though in podcast world, it's like I was never gone. So (laughs) here we are. (laughs) So if I sound slightly ill, it's because yesterday I was still slightly ill. So we're here. We're alive. It's all fine. (laughs) All right. So I did a macronutrients 101 episode a while back. And I've been wanting to do a micronutrients 101. And I sat down to write said episode and it was unbelievably aggressively long. So we're starting micronutrients 101, a mini series. And so today is going to be part one of that. So I wanted to start this episode with a little rant. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I like to do a good car rant. So this is an extension of said car rant, but podcast version on B12 because as a vegan, I often get reminded that I'm deficient in B12, even though I'm not. (laughs) But people love to remind me of that fact. And I just wanted to rant a little bit about why B12 deficiency is not just a vegan problem anymore. Maybe it once was, but it's not anymore. And this really comes down to soil health and quality. So most vegans actually are pretty well educated on their vitamin and mineral needs and they pay attention to their micronutrient intake probably closer than most non-vegans. So vegans are actually less likely to be deficient in B12 than just your average everyday Joe because that's just not on their radar. And so it's important to have this little rant because maybe you should be supplementing with B12 or eating more foods with B12 because it's harder to get these days. So B12 is produced two ways. One, by bacteria in the soil, and two, by bacteria in the large intestines of animals. And this includes ourselves, but we don't technically say we produce it ourselves because the bacteria that produce it do it so low in our large intestines that we're not going to absorb it or get anything from it. The important caveat here is that animals that do this in their large intestines their waste would then get on the food that we would eat. However, these methods of getting B12 are not as effective as they once were because 
we have gotten better at cleaning our food and keeping our food less contaminated. It's really cut down on a lot of foodborne diseases. However, our practices really have stripped our food of the B12 on it that we are consuming and that animals are consuming that we get the B12 from the animals. So you're not getting B12 from the produce because it's being cleaned so well. The animals are also not getting as much B12 because the food, the produce that they're eating is being grown in soil that is not farmed well to maintain the bacteria that is needed to make said B12 so that if you are a non-vegan who is relying on animal products like red meat to get your B12, it means that said meat is going to have less than ideal amounts of B12 if that makes sense. When I talk about depleted soils, a big issue is the mineral cobalt. So cobalt is actually needed to produce B12. And so that is that along with the bacteria is what's being depleted in the soils. So that's kind of just a fun little tidbit. But that's my rant. That's why this isn't just a vegan problem. Um, B12 deficiency or just a lower amount of B12 can cause a form of anemia. So it is important that if you're experiencing anemic-like symptoms, you might actually just be low in B12 and just never thought of it, especially if you're someone who maybe doesn't eat a lot of red meat um, and doesn't supplement. Yeah, there's my rant. So wait, really quick. What are the what are the symptoms of B12 anemia? Is it, it it's kind of similar to iron anemia, right? Hard to differentiate without going and getting your blood levels tested. So it's going to be like, you know, fatigue, weakness. And it's not just like, oh, I'm tired. I didn't sleep enough. It's you slept a lot and you like actually can't function. You're just so tired. Um, I've been iron deficient anemic and it is like a whole different level of tired. So yeah, if you're having symptoms like that, maybe go get yourself tested and a lot of um, anemias kind of go hand in hand. So if you're B12 deficient, you're probably iron deficient as well. So science. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's always gray area. There's never yeah. a black and white answer when it comes to nutrition, unfortunately. <laughs> exactly. So yes, if you are vegan, I do recommend a B12 supplement. People are going to ask and I do take one. Okay, so... This episode is going to be a bit more science heavy just by the nature of the topic. So it might be one where you have to listen in chunks or if you're super into it, you could take notes. But yeah, it's not just going to be like easy listening. <laughs> and I apologize if science isn't your thing, but science excites me. So that's why we're doing this episode. <laughs> so what exactly do vitamins do in our body? Question mark. Basically, they just act as cofactors in all the different biochemical processes that are constantly occurring in our bodies. So think of any process in your body like um, red blood cell production or something like that. Vitamins are involved. So it's important to learn about the sources of different vitamins because our bodies can't synthesize them on their own with the exception of vitamin D kind of. But we split our vitamins into fat-soluble vitamins and water-soluble vitamins. So fat-soluble vitamins, as their name implies, are absorbed 
with fat and are stored in fat. And water-soluble vitamins aren't really stored in our bodies. So those are ones that you would just, if you like say took like one of those vitamin C powdered drinks or whatever in the morning, your body's just going to absorb what it needs and you're going to pee out the rest. So it's not like something you're storing. The fat-soluble vitamins which is what today's episode is going to be on, is A, D, E, and K. And then all the B vitamins and vitamin C are the water-soluble ones. So we're just going to go right down in that order. Vitamin A. So vitamin A is actually a group of fat-soluble compounds, and these are retinol, retinal, and retinal esters. So a lot of people associate vitamin A with the eyes, and so... It makes sense that these are the compounds that comprise vitamin A. So there are kind of two chunks of vitamin A. We have preformed vitamin A, which are found in animal products, and provitamin A, which are found in more plant-type products. And provitamin A are the carotenes. So a lot of people are familiar with beta carotene. There's also like alpha carotene and a bunch of different carotenes. And these ones have to be converted first. They have to be converted to a different form in the body to then be absorbed. But your body takes care of it. You don't need to worry about it. So the animal sources of vitamin A are liver, butter, eggs, and fortified dairy. Liver, butter, eggs are probably going to be listed for every single vitamin for an animal source, eggs, egg yolks specifically. So there's your argument for people who are like, cut out the yolk, it's too fatty. Um, It has all the nutrients in it, plus it has its perfect little pocket of fat to help you absorb all those <laughs> vitamins as well. So those three are like heavy hitters. Like Olivia said before, don't be afraid to cook with butter. I'm afraid of liver, so if that's not your vibe, don't worry about it. There's there's butter and eggs. <laughs> I'm I like really want to learn how to make liver good. There's yeah. like a liver pate I really want to try, but mm-hmm. I also know it's just not for a lot of people. I also know yeah. like for my mom's generation, they were like at least my mom was like forced to eat liver and onions. That was like a thing. Ugh. So like yeah. whenever I mention liver, she kind of like gags a little because of that. But I know liver can be good and I want to figure out yeah. a way because it's like so dense, like nutrient dense. Yeah. But if anybody out there has a, you know, liver recipe that they like, please share. Like you're just <laughs> your secret family liver recipe. Yeah. I don't know. We never had it when we were kids. So thank you, mom. I yeah, don't. me neither. <laughs> so I have no idea what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Other animal sources of vitamin A are fatty fish. So these are fish like sardines, herring, tuna, as well as it's fortified in a lot of grain products. And then looking at plants. So a lot of the, like I said, these are like the carotene containing things anything orange, anything dark leafy green. So examples would be pumpkin, squashes, sweet potatoes, carrots, collard greens, kale, spinach, peas, and tangerines are all really great sources of vitamin A. I would say the animal equivalent to liver, or the animal, the plant equivalent to liver is dark leafy greens. So eat your greens, people. Talking about vitamin A functions. So obviously, as we've said, vision. And 
it is the cofactor in the rhodopsin protein. So when it binds to said protein, there's this big long cascade of events that generates a nerve impulse sent by the optic nerve to the visual cortex in the brain. So you need vitamin A to C, essentially. It's also involved in gene transcription, especially in cell differentiation and growth. So that makes it one of those vitamins that's super important to be aware of in early stages of pregnancy as the embryo is developing its different body structures from like its original little blob of cells. And then it's involved in red blood cell production, and it also has an immune function. Carotenes are super powerful antioxidants, which I remember learning in nutrition school. Like I think a lot of times you're like, oh, berries are antioxidants, but carotenes are as well. So there are a couple interactions vitamin A has with different micronutrients. The first being is zinc. So a zinc deficiency is most likely going to equal a vitamin A deficiency. When you have a vitamin A deficiency, you're going to have decreased rhodopsin binding protein, which is what vitamin A binds to to trigger the vision cascade. So this means that there is going to be a decreased conversion of the different forms of vitamin A and then decreased enzyme activity, and then zinc is also involved in that little cascade. And so if you have a deficiency in one, you're going to have a deficiency in the other. Lots of science. And I don't have, mm-hmm. I don't have like a little screen with a pointer to show you people, but anyway, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> also iron. So iron is a cofactor to an enzyme that cleaves carotenes into an absorbable form. So a deficiency in iron can mess with your levels of vitamin A, even if you're eating enough of it, because as I mentioned, the carotenes need to be transferred forms in order for your body to absorb and use said vitamin A. And lastly, alcohol is known to decrease vitamin A stores. So if you're someone that drinks quite frequently, you may actually be not deficient in vitamin A, but probably not to the level you need to be. So what does a deficiency look like? You can have an increased susceptibility to infections. You can have conjunctival xeroses, which is kind of a fancy way of saying very dry eyes. And then you can have excessive keratinization of the skin, usually on like the backs of your arms and legs is where you'd notice it the most. You might have impaired night vision and if it's bad, night blindness. And then if it's kids who are having a deficiency in vitamin A, you're going to see kind of unexplained delayed growth because it is so involved in cell differentiation. And then so with all of the fat-soluble vitamins, you can get toxicities because they are stored in the like fat as well as our liver. And so toxicity isn't going to happen from diet. It's going to happen from if you're taking high levels of supplements for quite a bit of time. Um, So all of these toxicities, like, don't worry, like, oh my gosh, I eat tangerines every day. Like, you're fine. (laughs) This is going to be if you're taking supplements of A, D, E, and K at a high amount for months and months and months. So 
but 90% of our vitamin A is stored in our liver. So if you're having too much vitamin A, you're going to see liver damage. You're going to have nausea, vomiting, headache, and as well as yellowing of the skin. I want to talk about yellowing of the skin because there's yellowing of the skin from the toxicity, and then there's just yellowing of the skin from eating a lot of food containing carotenes. I used to, okay, so in college, I really love snacking on stuff when I'm studying. <laughs> and so I couldn't always be snacking on chips, right? So my default was baby carrots for a long time. I My hands were orange, like my palms were like orange and <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> but that it's different. Like I said, you're not going <laughs> to, it's just, the, it's just building up. <laughs> Like, you know, you have fat deposits on your palm. I'm pointing to my right. palm. No one can see. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so and then I also wanted to talk about vitamin A supplementation during pregnancy because it is an important vitamin to have during pregnancy. There is a temptation by some women to take vitamin A supplements. However, this can cause, as I said, toxicity and it can also be teratogenic to the infant. So a teratogen is something that harms the embryo forming like early on and it causes kind of birth defects. So in the case of vitamin A, having a toxicity of it whilst pregnant can cause cranium deformations, eye abnormalities, and heart abnormalities. So as with all things, moderation is key. So vitamin A is kind of a tricky one because it's super important, but also teratogenic fine line. Really sorry if you're like pregnant listening to this and I just freaked you out. You don't have to be freaked out. You're probably fine. <laughs> just, yeah. you know, work with a doctor if you're taking vitamin and supplements. Right. I was going to ask is, uh, what is the recommended dietary intake and do most people get their dietary intake of this through just general diet? Because vitamin A is like one of those ones that's fairly You don't really low. hear about it. Okay, so in answer to Olivia's question, the RDA recommended daily allowance of vitamin A is 700 to 900 micrograms per day, increases a little bit in pregnancy, and then the toxicity level, if you're consuming more than 3,000 micrograms per day continually, that's how you would get the toxicity, so that'd be super hard to do with just diet alone. Most people don't have to worry about getting enough vitamin A unless there's some sort of weird genetic thing going on, or I guess if your diet is devoid of vegetables, but which fair could be a problem, but because they fortify dairy and grain products now, most people in developed countries don't have to worry about it. If you're eating eggs or raw red meat, not raw meat, don't eat raw meat. <laughs> oh my god, I'm broken. <laughs> if you're eating eggs or red meat, you're probably going to be fine for this yeah, particular like, vitamin. If you occasionally eat carrots, you're probably going to be excellent. Like, <laughs> Yes. Half a cup of carrots is like 50% of your daily vitamin A needs. So you're good. Yeah. All right. Moving on to vitamin D, which is one of my favorites because vitamin D just does so much and it's hard to just put into words how much vitamin D does. I find it interesting that 
there's a lot of conflicting recommendations from different sources of authority on how much the RDA should be for vitamin D. So there are places that say anywhere like at 600 international units. The way RDAs are set is so confusing because some use international units, some use like micrograms. And I'm like, can we just whatever? I know. But it's how they're shown on the bottle. Yeah, it is so frustrating because especially for Americans, like we also don't use the metric system and a lot of sciencey stuff uses the metric system. So when you're trying to be like, okay, I want to get, you know, 600 IU of said whatever, you're like, then you have to go on a Google search and be like, how much, how many grams is this? How many micrograms is this? What is a microgram? Like leads down to a whole thing. Usually yeah. if something is in like a microgram, most people are getting it, especially in the US, because like Reagan said, we fortify a lot of our food, especially in stuff, but Yes. Okay. So yeah, like Olivia said, there's a lot of conflicting measurements. But anyway, vitamin D is measured in international units. So I've seen anywhere from 600 IUs to 2000 IUs recommended per day. And it's kind of confusing because I'll explain later, there's different ways that we get vitamin D. And depending on your genetics, it kind of dictates how much you both need and absorb naturally. It's weird. It's confusing. There's one thing that is agreed upon, and that is that exclusively breastfed infants should be given about 400 IUs of vitamin D per day. So formula is a fortified product, so they're going to put vitamin D in it. However, vitamin D is one of the few things that is not transferred well through breast milk. And I think a lot of people knock breast milk for this reason because it's supposed to be like the golden standard. Think about back in the day, we weren't inside a lot. So infants would just get their vitamin D that they needed just by being outside because they were just brought everywhere that their mother went. So it didn't actually become an issue for infants being deficient in vitamin D until recently when they just stay inside all the time. But they sell like liquid 400 IU per day supplements that you can just give your baby. It's all good in the hood. Obviously, check with your pediatrician. Caveat. Right. Or take your baby outside. Yes. <laughs> Don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid to let your baby get some sun. I know a lot yes. of people like to overdo sunscreen on their kids, but like 10 minutes of sun. They don't wear sunscreen. Yeah. We could do a whole rant on sunscreen, which I know I was thinking that when I was writing this episode. I know, I know. And it's funny too, our different perspectives now that I, we're talking about this of vitamin D because you're just like, oh, go outside. And I'm like, I can't most of the year just get the vitamin D from the sun. I will right. talk about the sun belt. We live yes. in different areas of the US. Yes, I was going to use that as a caveat. Like, I know yes. I live in one of the more sunny areas <laughs> in the world. So it, yeah, it's less difficult for us to get vitamin yes. D. <laughs> so as I mentioned just now, the major source of vitamin D is, our major source is from the sun. It's from UVB rays. So how to get the amount of vitamin D you need is to spend about 15 minutes outside with not I don't want to say like nude, but not a lot of clothing on, like have your skin exposed 
between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. And that's actually going to provide you with anywhere from 10 to 20,000 international units of vitamin D. It's hard to quantify because it depends on like geographical location and time of year. And also your skin color, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. They say your stomach and the top of your thighs are where you produce most of your or you mm-hmm. absorb the most of your vitamin D. So if you can like, yeah. obviously you can't do this in the middle of winter, but if you can expose your stomach to the sun, you'll yes. get like the biggest benefit. <laughs> yep. And so as we were saying, there is this thing called the sunshine belt, which is essentially the, it's at the 40 degree parallel. Um, you can like look it up on Google to see kind of a picture of it. So if you are above the said sunshine belt, then for a lot of the year, you actually can't get the amount of vitamin D you need just because of, you know, the geographical location. You're in the north. There's not as much sun, nor is it directed the right way. It's confusing. So people above said 40 degree parallel sunshine belt, I would recommend a vitamin D supplement just because you're not going to get it from the sun as hard as you try. So I do take a vitamin D supplement as well if you're keeping track of Reagan supplements we're at B12 and vitamin D3 so there we go okay then there are minor food sources of vitamin D liver egg yolks (laughs) fortified foods and fatty fish and mushrooms the one bane of my vegan existence is that I really hate mushrooms and I'm trying to get myself to like them I know they're just little powerhouses they're like the liver of the plant world like they're great is it specific mushrooms like you don't like button mushrooms have you tried like all of them different types actually i don't think i don't think they taste like feet i think it's a texture thing and when i have that texture i'm like ew feet so if they're like chopped up super fine in a dish or like ground up in a veggie burger love them love the taste i've had many a thing in a restaurant where it's like a huge part of like the quote-unquote burger patty however right. I just I can't have a chunk of mushroom it weirds me out I I was just gonna ask about the texture because that is mm-hmm. usually like for a lot of people the texture but mm-hmm. mm, I should send you some recipes to help because some too also the cooking of them I hate the smell <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so but That's when I fair. do do it, I appreciate it. And I know my husband would appreciate it. He like he loves mushrooms. Like whenever I get a dish in a restaurant that has mushrooms, he just eats my mushrooms. And I just find that <laughs> so gross. So gross. <laughs> me but, and your husband would get along. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> That's uh, me. <laughs> so yeah. Anybody, if you have mushroom recipes, send them my way because I want yeah. to like mushrooms. I think I have to laugh. This is another tangent. Side note. Um, I was at a wedding one time. Being vegan at a wedding is not fun. And I never <laughs> complain because not my day. Like I know how hard it is to plan. And then you have those annoying people with dietary restrictions. I will take whatever you give me and I will not complain. However, I was at a wedding one time. <laughs> the vegan option was a stuffed mushroom. And I just, <laughs> I just, my husband was like, oh no. And I'm like, I'll be fine. Like I even tried a couple bites. I was a big girl about it, but no, can't do it. (laughs) So it's always really sad. So 
This is my plea to you. If you have a wedding or an event and you're having to pick a vegan option, don't pick the stuffed mushroom because that's always an option and just don't pick it. (laughs) I know. And I feel like a lot of people don't like mushrooms. So that seems like a cruel thing to pick. And it's like, even if you do, I would say, even if you do, that's like, that's just a lot of mushroom where they're just, or they use it as like the burger. Like it's like bread with a mushroom. I'm like, that's a lot of mushroom to just eat. Right. So (laughs) my my mushroom rant. (laughs) Vegans still like food. (laughs) They still like food to be good. (laughs) I could go on about wedding vegan food I've had. It's funny. That was the vegan, the food at my wedding was bomb. And that's because I had tastings and I was vegan. When the bride's vegan, the food is good. Okay. Hell yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, metabolism of vitamin D in our bodies. It's hydroxylated twice. First, it occurs in our liver. Secondly, it occurs in our kidney. And the kidney controls how much vitamin D is hydroxylated, thus how much vitamin D is available in our bodies. And this is based on calcium levels. So vitamin D and calcium are super closely intertwined. They play off of each other. It's one of those things where it's like you have one, you have the other. Less of one dictates we need more of the other sort of situation. So... There are three ways that vitamin D can increase calcium. So if you need to increase calcium in your body, you're going to use vitamin D to do it. So the first is it can signal to increase intestinal absorption of calcium when your intestines encounter it. The second, it can increase reabsorption in the kidneys rather than the excretion of calcium. And then the third is it can mobilize calcium from the bones. Obviously, you don't want to get to the point where you're relying on getting your calcium from your bones because that's weakening your bones. But those are the three ways that vitamin D is able to signal to the body, hey, we need more calcium. So other functions of vitamin D, super involved in blood pressure regulation. So it helps to regulate the levels of Uh, renin, which is an enzyme that essentially promotes increased blood pressure by constricting arteries and increasing sodium and water retention. So if you need to lower sled blood pressure, vitamin D can help to decrease the expression of renin. Glucose homeostasis involved in that. It's an immune system modulator. So in the immune system, Vitamin D can help to regulate the local immune response. It increases antimicrobial peptides. And interestingly enough, it is inversely correlated with autoimmune disease. So both occurrence and flares. So people who have autoimmune diseases, keeping proper and high levels of vitamin D can help prevent against flares. Alternatively, they see people with high levels of vitamin D have lesser incidence of autoimmune. It's hard to tell on that one if that's kind of like a is correlation causation sort of situation, but take that as you will. That's interesting. I would want to I would wonder if the people in like the sun belts have like lower cases of immune disorders. That's something I never thought of, but that'd be really interesting to see. If, like, the farther north you are, the higher chance you have of an 
autoimmune disease. And of yeah. course, I know scientifically that would probably be like really hard to determine, but that's interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Like kind of like even I feel like you might get better results too looking at like maybe like Nordic countries versus more like, you know, Southern Caribbean type countries. But yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting thoughts. That is. Yeah. Similarly to vitamin A, it's involved in the regulation of cell differentiation. Specifically, vitamin D inhibits proliferation of overgrowth of cells in the colon, breast, and prostate. So once again, super important in cancer prevention is having proper levels of vitamin D because those are places you don't want your cells proliferating. And then vitamin D deficiency. So in kids, if you have vitamin D deficiency, this is what causes the condition of rickets. Used to be a lot more common before we had fortified foods because the government doesn't trust you to do anything, so they're just going to fortify all our food. But anyway, it's a good thing. I don't want kids to have rickets. <laughs> it sounded so bad. Right. I know. But I yeah. I want to do an episode on like the vitamin like story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fortification is really important. Like, yeah. that was a really cool thing that our government did that was actually, like, very successful. However, it's funny because the way vitamins kind of infiltrated the world was not not helpful. It's, like, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do a whole episode on, like, the, the history of vitamin. It's funny because Reagan's like, I'm going to tell you the science. And I'm like, I'm going to tell you the history. <laughs> it works. <laughs> We're I love it. It's like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> right. You better have except, both. <laughs> yes. Except we're going to fight over who's the peanut butter because that's the best part. I don't know. I like jelly. Okay, I good. Jelly. I, like peanut butter. I support jelly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept Nutella as well. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. We digress. So, Ricketts, what is it? It's an inadequate calcification of the bones. So you're going to have soft bones, thus like I'm showing you people like you can see, thus the bow-legged effect of infants. If you want to look up Ricketts legs, just do it. I'm not stopping you. In adults, a deficiency in <laughs> vitamin D is known as osteomalacia, which similarly leads to softened bones pain and weak legs and an increase in fracture risk. So as you can see, vitamin D, calcium, they're intertwined. Risks of vitamin D deficiency. So reduced UV availability, as we've discussed, reduced UV penetration. So this can be things like dark clothes, having darker skin tone, or choosing to wear long sleeves, long pants during times when you should be absorbing vitamin D. So um, like if you're someone who does a lot of outside work, like yard maintenance or stuff like that, and you tend to wear like long sleeves and stuff to protect yourself from the sun, you might actually be deficient in vitamin D even though you're outside most of the day. And then as Olivia mentioned, excessive use of sunscreen as well. Fun fact, come at me, mom, if you want, but I only wear sunscreen on my face because I'm not trying to like, you know, get a wrinkly, wrinkly face, but I don't wear sunscreen other than that. And I haven't died yet. So Same. nor have I gotten really terribly burned to a crisp. 
but also I do live in the north, so take that as you will. <laughs> I I actually last year experimented with this because I do live in New Mexico where the sun can be overly aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I decreased my sunscreen quite a bit. I will put it on after like if I'm outside for an in direct sunlight for longer than 45 minutes i will usually put some sort of sunscreen on i usually choose zinc uh sunscreen because i'm not trying to get those chemicals but i also learned (laughs) that if you increase your fish oil that actually helps protect your skin also so last year i started taking more fish oil and I I actually had significantly less sunburns than I <laughs> than I normally do. I'm super white, so yeah. I will burn yeah. eventually. But I actually also discovered that the longer that I allowed my skin to be in direct sunlight, it adjusted. So I mm-hmm. tanned better rather than burned right away. And so there is there is merit to allowing your skin to adjust. We have melanin for a reason. Yeah. It it learns based off of like your, just like everything in our body, because our body is super cool. It learns mm-hmm. and will adjust and will start producing more. So slow and steady is definitely always the case. Like I would never recommend if you're a sunscreen, if you've been using sunscreen your whole life to just stop and then go spend the entire day outside because you will burn and that will suck (laughs) but slowly like if you stand outside for 30 minutes every once in a while and you allow yourself to adjust and you allow your skin to adjust it's true I tested it on myself it's a real Mm -hmm. thing (laughs) yeah yep I agree also along the lines of the omegas eating enough like vitamin a sources especially the carotene can be protective as well so yeah and like you I don't burn and yeah if you're concerned about it stay outside for your allotted what 15 minutes to get some vitamin d and then go put your sunscreen on all is well but pick non-toxic okay so other risks of a vitamin d deficiency can be kidney disease because if you remember it's hydroxylated the second time in the kidneys and that's when we're able to actually use it so if your kidneys aren't functioning you're not going to be making usable vitamin D, aging, because your skin stops synthesizing the vitamin D as well. So you can be put at risk for deficiency then. If you have any fat malabsorption issues or extremely low dietary intake combined with other things. But the dietary one is not really of concern in the U.S. Four to five foods. I digress. So excessive vitamin D is extremely rare. I don't think it really happens ever. You'd have to be taking astronomical amounts of supplements. Um, and most people aren't. And I don't even think that you'd have to really, 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 really try. But anyway, it's the influencers who are like promoting taking vitamin D to like live forever. Those are the people Mm -hmm. who usually end up with a vitamin D toxicity. Yes. (laughs) And it actually can be really serious, so we don't want to, like, you know, gloss over it. So it can actually lead to calcification of your soft tissues. So that would be, like, your blood vessels, kidneys, heart, lungs, joints. Not good. Moving on to our last two, vitamin E and vitamin K, which are quicker. They're a lot more straightforward. So vitamin E is a family of compounds called tocopherols, and these are found in 
you guessed it, dark leafy green vegetables, polyunsaturated plant oils, almonds, sunflower seeds, wheat germ, whole grains, egg yolks, avocados, and tomatoes. What is interesting is that it's estimated that I sounded so nerdy there. I just saw myself being like, what's interesting? <laughs> Shoves glasses up nose. <laughs> you guys, I'm a biology major. I'm a nerd at heart. So it's I love it. So the RDA is 15 milligrams per day. It's estimated that 90% of Americans are deficient in their intake and that the average American is getting about 7.2 milligrams per day. And I would argue it's because people don't eat whole grains and they don't eat dark leafy green vegetables. So there's our issue right there. Eat those two foods on a regular, semi-regular basis. Like your whole health is going to change. But And I feel like not enough people eat tomatoes. Like, yeah, a lot of people don't like tomatoes. And I'm like, yeah, salsa. yeah like are you okay I don't know I mean as a kid I wasn't too crazy about them but like I use them all the time now but anyway functions of vitamin E it is an antioxidant what is interesting here is that when it does okay so an antioxidant basically neutralizes free radicals that's what it does so when it neutralizes a free radical Vitamin C actually has the ability to regenerate it so it can be a antioxidant again. So importance of getting all of your vitamins. It also is involved in stabilization of cell membranes and it protects LDL cholesterol from oxidation. So I think this is an interesting tie-in to Olivia's enlightenment for us all on cholesterol is that LDL cholesterol can become like really dangerous for you if it's oxidized. So um, vitamin E helps to prevent that from happening and then it just functions as it should. So what can decrease vitamin E status? An increase in oxidative stress. Obviously, you're going to be putting your vitamin E working on overdrive to neutralize your excessive free radicals because you're stressed, thus using it up quicker. So Increased oxidative stress can be things that are you think of as negative, like smoking or something like that, but it can also be the person who exercises frequently or perhaps the parent that doesn't get enough sleep. Those are all things that can increase your oxidative stress. Having a poor vitamin C status can also decrease your vitamin E, like we talked about. And once again, it's fat-soluble, so fat malabsorption issues can mess with your levels. A true deficiency, which I wanted to look up the difference between a deficiency and just having low levels because most Americans aren't getting enough vitamin E, but they're not deficient. So a true vitamin deficiency is not well defined, but it basically is said to be a long-term lack of, and I'm like, okay, so like, is that months? Is that years? I don't know. I don't know. They don't want you to know. I don't <laughs> But a long-term lack of. So if you're getting some vitamin E, you're not technically a true deficiency. But a true deficiency can have symptoms that it, that are peripheral neuropathy of unexplained origin, hyporeflexia, which is 
slow reflexes, cardiac arrhythmias, and dementia. So it's kind of one that they monitor in older people who might all of a sudden be showing signs of dementia, like, hey, how is their vitamin E level? That's one of those. And then toxicity, once again, rare, but diarrhea, fatigue, double vision, muscle weakness, kind of generic symptoms. So it's hard to really say that's a vitamin E toxicity but most people don't have to worry about it. Moving on to our last vitamin, thanks for bearing with me, is vitamin K. And it is naturally found in two forms, K1 and K2. K1 is produced by plants. And then K2 is low amounts in foods. I bet you can guess the foods. They are egg yolks, butter, and meat. But it's produced from uh, K1 by intestinal bacteria. Sorry. I kind of connected those two. So K2 is found in low amounts in the foods. And then also K1, once we consume it, our intestinal bacteria convert K1 into K2 because it is 15 times more potent. So it can remain biologically active for longer. But both are easily absorbable. You don't have to worry about like, oh my gosh, I don't eat animal products. Like you're fine. Your bacteria and your intestine have it down importance of gut health once again but sources of vitamin k not to beat the dead horse but dark leafy greens um (laughs) if you want some examples of dark leafy greens besides spinach and kale you could try swiss chard which is quite nice as well as collard greens um and then cruciferous vegetables so broccoli cauliflower brussels sprouts that sort of family functions of vitamin k So it binds to proteins containing, I love big words, it binds to proteins containing the gamma carboxyglutamic acid. And this fun little molecule (laughs) allows calcium to then bind to and activate whatever protein or enzyme happens to need to be activated. So this gamma carboxyglutamic acid is found on a ton of proteins. So vitamin K just helps a plethora of different proteins be activated. Blood clotting, it's also involved in because, I mean, many people want, want, this is not a political show, so I'm not going to be like talking about the vitamin K shot, (laughs) but it is um, essential in Uh, blood clotting factors 2, 7, 9, and 10. The reason they give it to infants is so the the vitamin dump that the mom gives to the baby, like kind of around like, I don't know, is it like 37, 38 weeks? I don't know exactly. But vitamin K is not done in like super high amounts. It's not transferred to the infant very well. Thus the vitamin K shot, because if you don't have vitamin K, you're not going to like, you're you're at more risk of bleeding out because you can't clot that well. Okay, that's all we're going to say on that. Bone health. Vitamin K is involved in bone health. It's a component of osteocalcin. So osteocalcin binds to calcium in order to make strong bones. So there's that. And then it's also involved in our vasculature. It's in the matrix glutamic protein whatever that is, it maintains blood vessel elasticity, essentially. So there actually are no known instances of a vitamin K toxicity. High supplementation doses can decrease the effectiveness of anti-clotting or blood thinning medications as 
you would logically assume. So someone who's on said medications probably should not be supplementing with vitamin K, but they probably wouldn't be anyway. And then a deficiency could lead to reduced clotting time, easy bruising, and easy bleeding slash hard to stop bleeding. And then you would also have a vitamin K deficiency if you have a hemorrhagic disease um, like hemophilia or uh, osteoporosis. So yeah, that is my first installment of Micronutrients 101. Hopefully since you have experienced it took me an hour to get through four vitamins, you can appreciate why we're splitting up not only the vitamins but the minerals as well. So I hope you all enjoyed that as thoroughly as I did. But <laughs> I loved it. I know we're super sciencey based, so it's fun for us to to kind of flex with our science knowledge. But if there is like any questions that you guys have, it's like what in the world does that mean or anything like that, please let us know. We would absolutely mm-hmm. love to clarify. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I want with this series to help people real like as you said during this episode influencers want you to take supplements because they get paid by these like supplements like here's a hair skin and nail supplement like I want to encourage people that they can get everything they need from their diet you don't need to be taking all these different supplements all the time to be peak health and most vitamins obviously these ones are stored in the fat but most vitamins, like you're just going to get rid of the extras if your body's not going to use it anyway. So it's kind of just a waste of money. Yeah. That's kind of the thing about vitamins is if your body doesn't need it, if your body doesn't want it, (laughs) it's not going to use it. It's Mm -hmm. just going to excrete it. So a lot of people who take supplements will notice their pee is quite a bit darker or it has kind of a funny smell. And that is literally due to the fact that your body was like, nope, didn't need that. Now, to be fair, if you are living somewhere like in the north, like Reagan said, the vitamin D supplement can be really important. Um, if you're not getting enough fat in your diet, then you also might be having an issue absorbing these vitamins, which is, of course, an issue. So always This is why we're always promoting keeping fat in your diet because it's not just good for all the other things that I talked about in the cholesterol episode, but it's also really good for all your vitamin digestion. So don't be afraid of fat. Your fat-soluble vitamins are buddies with it and they need it. (laughs) I would say, and if if you have a low-fat diet, taking a supplement is not going to help because these are fat-soluble vitamins you need the fat to get the vitamin no matter what form you're getting it in. Yeah. And as Reagan said, a lot of influencers are paid to promote supplements or they make their own supplements. Uh, I want to say, I want to say a name. I'm not going to, I'm not calling anyone out on this episode. I really want Uh, to, (laughs) but they'll sell their own quote unquote supplements and they don't, One, a lot of times they don't do what they say they're going to do because they're not researched. But two, they often put like an exaggerated amount of something in it and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It never does. If you are deficient in something, supplements can be super useful. Like 
Reagan and I both do take supplements for things that we find we have less of, but that's also because we've done an ungodly amount of research on vitamins, not just Mm -hmm. for our own personal use, but we had to do so much research for school. And I know the average Joe, the average Dane is not doing that kind of research. So if you're getting your green leafy vegetables, if you're getting, if you eat animal products, eggs are important. Please, please don't just eat the egg white. Please eat the egg yolk. (laughs) And butter is fantastic. We have been using butter for thousands of years for a reason. Not only does it taste good, but it's great for your health. And do you ever find it fishy that it's these products that are demonized because they don't make people money because you can't just like, here's my butter like brand. Like obviously there's different brands, but it's not that deep. The butters that have been branded have been created. Like you can't create something other than butter, but you can create a plethora of different supplements and convince people that it's better than just getting it from the source right and you can only charge so much for butter right you can only charge so much for butter there's a market limit to where you can charge butter whereas supplements if you look you can charge an arm and a leg for supplements Mm -hmm. left and right they make so much money on that stuff and again we're not promoting not using supplements but we're promoting like educated uses of supplements which is why reagan was wanting to do this episode and the next installments of our micronutrient episodes because it it is really important to know what your vitamins are used for so if you are deficient or if you feel like you are not getting enough in your diet then supplementation can be useful but it's not necessary 95% of the time (laughs) exactly the rest of this series I have planned is going to be We're going to do water-soluble vitamins next, and then we're going to do major minerals. We're going to do trace minerals, and then I'm going to culminate it all kind of in an episode that's focused on supplements and kind of the history of what rules exist, what rules don't exist, and if you're going to have a supplement, how to find one that's reputable and what claims you can and can't trust. Because in the U.S., it's really hard because, spoiler, there really aren't a lot of regulations. (laughs) Yes. And the history of supplementation will explain that. Yep. (laughs) Will explain why there's not a lot of regulation to it. So I'm excited. This whole series is going to be fantastic. I'm so excited. (laughs) Installment number one was great. (laughs) Yay. Well, thank you so much, Reagan. I can't wait to hear more. And as always, guys, if you have questions or you want to hear more about something, please let us know. You know, we could talk about anything for hours. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. I could talk about wedding food I've eaten for hours. And I promise that next episode I won't be hacking up along every 10 minutes. Thanks to the power of editing and Olivia's patience. You won't have to hear that, but... I did indeed hack up along during this episode. Uh, it's all good. Everyone's sick right now. It's totally fine. I know. All right. Here's our Midwestern goodbye. <laughs> goodbye podcast. Thank you guys. We love you. We can't wait to talk about more stuff later. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Real Nutrition Talk with Reagan and I. If you love this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, tagged us in a story, or just left a comment or question on what you enjoyed and what you want more of. You can also follow us on Instagram with the links below in the show notes. Thank you again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.